I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome back to In The Pink with Bose, helping you stay connected to your family, friends and this podcast throughout the lockdown. It's great to have your company. It's great to have your feedback. I've had loads of lovely messages, um, particularly on the last one, Matt Bishop. And it's interesting because Matt isn't a household name, but he is just so interesting to listen to because he's been part of the F1 furniture for a very long time. So he's seen and been involved with some fascinating times in the sport and as a result has some great stories to tell. So thank you, Matt, once again, for your company. And we've got more F1 podcasts on the way including David Coulthard very soon and I'm hoping to speak to both Lando and Carlos in the next week or so. Okay next up on In The Pink is a Welsh superstar rugby player Jamie Roberts. He's got countless strings to his bow including a medical background. I managed to speak to him when he just landed back in the UK from South Africa where he'd been playing for the Stormers so he was safely ensconced back with his fiance and dog ahead of the lockdown. We talked about great rivalries and friendships within the sport, plus anecdotes from his time playing for Wales, the British Lions and the Barbars, and about performing on stage with the Manic Street Preachers. Very cool. You can find out what's next for the big man and much, much more about Jamie Roberts here on In The Pink. Hi, Jamie. Welcome back to London Town. I know you've only recently got back from South Africa. How are you? And um, I bet you're glad to be home, aren't you? Uh, Thanks. Good to be on here. I am actually very glad to be home. Um, Managed to probably get the last flight out of South Africa Thursday night before they went on the lockdown. Uh, Midnight on Thursday, we literally took off from the runway at 5 past 12, 10 past 12. So probably the last flight out of South Africa. Uh, and getting on that was a minor miracle because we were meant to fly Friday night, but we were lucky to be able to fly forwards 24 hours to beat the uh, the kind of airspace lockdown. So, yeah, and as days pass now, since Friday, I am quite relieved I'm back in the UK, actually, because obviously South Africa is, I think, a few weeks behind the rest of the Euro- Europe and the world with this um, coronavirus pandemic. And uh, what are your fears for South Africa? Are you worried that they're not on top of the situation? Uh, No, I think they've acted very swiftly and I think they've acted very strongly. 
and as I said, swiftly, whilst they have a chance to contain this pandemic in South Africa, um, I think they've only had three deaths at the minute and compared to Europe and compared to the US and the Far East, um, that's not many. I know it's three too many, but South Africa, I think, because of numerous factors, which I'll come on to discuss, they they have watched this pandemic spread elsewhere in the world and basically have have the luxury really of having watched it kind of take off elsewhere and have decided to act very strongly and very quickly um, which is the right thing to do those, those factors i talk about are uh, one a lot of people that live below the poverty line the quality of health care um you know for anyone who's seen a township or understand what townships are like it's almost impossible to isolate yourself in a township. You know, a lot of people live on top of each other. Um, and there's a high immunocompromised population. So one in one in five have HIV in South Africa. Uh, and there's a high population with TB as well, which is a lung disease in itself. So, you know, it's only right that the, the South African president and those in power have acted very, very strongly and swiftly um, with this and, you know, if that means closing the airspace and enforcing a lockdown of the country, well, that's so be it because, you know, people's health is far more important than any economy and, and anyone's life, I guess. Uh, what are people saying out there in terms of the climate? Because there was certainly a theory that Corona couldn't exist in high temperatures. Do you think that is the case? Don't ask me on that. And I don't think there uh, is much proven research about coronavirus and temperature. You know, there's a lot of misinformation out there online that will tell you, okay, if it gets to a certain temperature, it won't spread as quickly or whatever. This isn't a flu virus. It's a different virus. It's a SARS virus. Um, it is still a respiratory virus, but whether, you know, that, that information hasn't been released from studies yet. So mm. it's impossible to, to speculate whether, you know, the temperature is having an effect in Africa or not. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here because you are speaking with some conviction because of your medical degree, which you got from Cambridge University, clever clogs. Uh, no, Cardiff, Cardiff. I trained as a medic from Cardiff. Well, how did you get your Cambridge no, I, did, I did a master's at Cambridge. Oh, okay. Well, Cardiff is still a great uni, isn't it? Cardiff. Well, isn't it? <laughs> You're just a show-off, you've been to both. Um, have you got any intention of using it? And now would be a good time. Yeah, I'm not quite sure yet. I'm still, I still want to play for another year or two and then kind of make that decision. But yeah, look, I'm, um, you know, I think it's only right. I, I try and help out if I can, um, especially with a medical background. I've never worked clinically, so I can't, you know, meet trying to do clinical work now is about as useful as as uh, as any random person without a medical qualification but um, I think a lot of people back home in Wales want to try and help out um, you know the situation in Wales is is getting worse and yeah with it with a medical degree in the bank I guess it's it's wrong if I don't volunteer to help so you know I'll check my hand up for that and see and see if there is a role for me but it won't be anything clinical uh, so what, I, you know, I didn't do my foundation year when I graduated. So, you know, what that role would entail, I can't tell you. But and I, I'm still not sure if I want to work as a doc after I finish. So, so why did you do it? Did you need to just stretch the old grey matter a bit whilst playing rugby? Uh, no, no, no. I I loved science as a kid. 
Um, I was a bit of a geek in school. I loved science. I, I was quite a sociable bloke. And I loved problem solving. That was my, you know, problem solving. I loved maths. I loved kind of chemistry um, and kind of logic. And, you know, if you marry those three, um, science, problem solving, and being kind of sociable bloke, medicine is the automatic path, isn't it? You know, you, when you meet patients, you problem solve. And medicine is problem solving. You know, you get given symptoms, you signs in people's illnesses, you have to work out what it is and, and, and problem solve from there. So um, I loved it. I loved, you know, going and I loved the challenge of, you know, doing my sporting career alongside learning as well. And having that escape from sports was important to me. Um, you know, cause I do love my rugby. I, I was very competitive, still am very competitive, but I needed an escape as well. And as you say, exercise on the grey matter was important as well. So you know, I loved I loved medicine, but the way I saw it is when I graduated, I've only got this window in my life to play rugby. I've got the rest of my life to be a doctor. So I didn't want to give up on, on playing rugby for as long as I could at the top level. Um, and yeah, I kind of wish, it's a bit weird because I kind of took it for granted a bit when I was probably 18, 19, 20. You know, as anyone who's been to university, it's kind of right. You go to lectures. We had like dissection. And I used to go to dissection classes and not really take it seriously, just kind of cruise through it. But now I would love to do dissection now. I'd literally look forward to it now if I had the chance to go and do it. It'd be awesome. But back then it was just, okay, another dissection session, you know, and, and you just cruise through it and then learn what you need to for the exam. There's definitely something for, to be said for going to university later in life. My mum did a law degree in her 40s and definitely appreciated it more I think but also was able to bring life experience to it you, d- you are much more grateful for education and learning when you're older so to do as you say take it all a bit for granted when you're young you're too busy going out on the pot yep. well exactly there is that there are more important things at that age aren't there this is true this is true okay time for Bose's handy tips about how we can all cope a bit better over the next few weeks and potentially months um, under lockdown I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? We just don't know how long this is going to last. And that lack of control over our own lives can let anxiety creep in. But hopefully, if we can all follow these little nuggets of advice, it may just help. Okay, first of all, take time for yourself to stay centred and sane. Number two, seize moments of calm. They may be few and far between, but they are out there. You just need to grab them with both hands. Number three, find your sanctuary away from the chaos. Now, if like me, your whole house is chaotic, then that might be hard, but there must be a little corner somewhere where you can take yourself off and just have a moment or two. Because remember, timeouts aren't just for kids. It's really important to take a little me time because it can go a long way. I know that sounds a bit selfish because I always feel guilty if I go off and read a book or listen to some music or have a bath or all three at the same time. But I think and hope that we all come back to our jobs in the house with the kids, with our family, as better mothers, better partners, more productive, if we have taken a bit of time out. Cabin fever is real. So one way to smash that oppressive feeling is to learn something new, take up a new hobby, for example, Don't resist and fight the new norm. Embrace it. Shape it to suit you. 
For example, you could move rooms, change the layout at your home, create a new space dedicated to a new hobby. Make working for home work for you. Don't be afraid of the silence, if indeed it exists at any point during your day. It can be truly golden after all. Try to block out unhelpful noise and that will also reduce your anxiety. It's not where you work, it's how you work. So make it work for you with a little bit of help from Bose. Feel more, do more, be more with bows um talking of problem solving it feels as if um you've really made rugby work for you as well you've traveled the world um I, I was just looking at your kind of list of achievements which are ridiculous really we've touched on the cambridge blue so well done big tick in the box for that pro 14 premiership top 14 super rugby bar bars wales lions have i missed anything out no that's what it's <laughs> no, I've been very, I've been very lucky, uh, thanks to do, you know, to have played my career on on my terms. And like I, I've always wanted to travel with rugby. I think it's one of the greatest things about the game, the opportunity to travel. You know, whether that's with your side touring somewhere, with your country playing in South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Six Nations. Um, a chance to travel with rugby has always been you know, a huge, huge plus for me. Um, and so the opportunity, when I graduated, I was 26, 2013 in Cardiff. I'd never left Cardiff. So I'd, I'd grown up there, went to university there, went through the whole schooling system there. And the opportunity came up for me to play in Paris of all places. You know, that's super lucky to get offered a job to, to live and work in Paris in another league and under another language. Um, and it was a big step because I'd never... I'd never left home and I guess when an opportunity like that comes around, you either take it or you massively regret not taking it. And at some point you've got to take the jump, haven't you? So, you know, that was my first kind of experience of, right, I'm doing this on my terms. I've got an opportunity here. I have to have to take it. And I really struggled. I probably struggled for the first two, three months. Uh, I got injured after about a month there, hit my ankle, was out for three months. I was living on my own in a foreign city, in a foreign language. And I really struggled. Um, you know, I, I wake some nights and just think, what on earth have I done? One, with my career and two, with my life. And then then it all turns on its head. You start learning the language. You start getting to know the lads a bit better. You feel a bit more part of the furniture there. And, it, you know, I reflect that now on those two years of my career as, as you know, one of the best things I ever did uh, was take myself out of my comfort zone or whatever. And that kind of that kind of set the tone for the last six years of my career. Again, I had the opportunity to to go back to playing Cardiff after that Paris stint, um, but then had the opportunity at Harlequins as well. And I thought, you know what? I've, I've always wanted to live in London. I've wanted to experience London. It's something I haven't done. Um, and I tied in the Cambridge gig with that um, just to keep something up, away from the field. Um, and then, yeah, opportunity came to live in Bath, which again is one of the, you know, best cities in the country to, to live and work in. And then an opportunity came up in Cape Town. So I've, I guess when I reflect, I've worked hard to create these opportunities for myself. You have to have the balls to take them when they come around. And, you know, I'm glad I've done that. Would you have stayed at Bath longer, do you think, if Pivac had given you a clear sign that you'd be playing for Wales? And um, look, I, I last got capped for Wales end of 2017. 
Uh, look, being realistic, whether I'll play for Wales again, probably not. You know, I felt I've been good enough to play for Wales over the last three years anyway, even after uh, not getting picked. But, you know, I think I came to the conclusion that an opportunity to play Super Rugby in a place like Cape Town at this point in my career, that chance isn't going to come around again, um, no matter how I dress it up. So, and, and not many people get that afforded that opportunity in, to play Super Rugby, especially mm. Northern Hemisphere lads. A lot of people do do it the other way, but the chance to do that was was one I couldn't 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 refuse. I've loved Cape Town. I've loved every time I've I've travelled to South Africa. It's been a special special place to play. You know, both as a rugby experience and as a life experience. So, you know, I'm hugely grateful for the opportunity. I'm really glad I took I took it. But I spoke to Wayne and. Uh, you know, he told me where I was at with the, with the selection process, and you know, I, I probably won't share that. But it's um, you know, I made that decision, and I'm glad I made it. We want to see you get to 100 caps, though. Yeah, that'd be nice. But it is it is a number, and it's it's tough. Look, I've I've uh, and it's hard. You get to your 90s, and I remember speaking to Martin Williams about this. You know, he was stuck on I think 97 or 98 for a long time. Uh, and then two or three years later, maybe 18 months later, you managed to get across the line. But look, I've, it's a privilege to play for a country once, let alone 94 times. So, um, yeah, it would be, it would be awesome. But whether my... Huh? I reckon they owe that to you. Well, this is the thing. They don't owe me anything. And the sport owes no one anything. And I, I know. You know, it's easy to say that and it's, it's easy to feel that as well. But the game owes no one anything. You know, I always do a great job. It's not like they're doing you a favor. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I know. I know, but um, you know, coaches make decisions for certain reasons. It, I was in favour for a long time with Wales, um, not a decade. You know, I I played almost every Six Nations game for nine years on the bounce, so I had a decent run at it, um, and I'm very grateful for that. And coaches make decisions. You know, as I said, I was in favour for a long time, and then I fell out of favour, and, and that's the way it goes. At professional sports, in at the highest level, um, that's the way the, the cookie crumbles, I guess. 
Okay, well, let's cast our minds back over some of those highlights from that incredible international career. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to talk about it like it's over. I'm just talking about it Mm. with this little comma that can be extended. We can still add to this. Um, But, you you know, you've been on a couple of Lions tours as well. Um, Just remind us, so South Africa 2009, um, Australia 2013, what, what are your kind of standout memories from that the, the partnership with the Driscoll was that was that something that really shone bright for you yeah it's pretty special and I, I think for me now to play in South Africa because you know that tour arguably kind of made my career and catapulted me to a to a level I, I never expected to to play at um, and yeah look I'd had a pretty good season in 08 or 09 it was my kind of first cap season for Wales um, and I've been playing well and things I think I remember mostly from that tour was one, the announcement. I remember being sat in my Rover 100, which was my car back then. Uh, my Rover 100 uh, is before I got the Ford Focus upgrade. I was in my Rover 100 with my best mate uh, and we were sat at Penarth Pier uh, just literally waiting for the radio announcement. Because remember with the Lions tours, the players find out at the same time as the public. Yeah, And That's so we're just awesome. listening on the radio. Oh, it's crazy. And it's, it was nerve-wracking because there was a lot of chat beforehand. You know, Jamie's been playing well, he deserves a shot, whatever. But you never think, you never assume you're going to be in. Uh, and I found out that the hard way in, in 2017, and I'll, I'll come, come to that a bit, a bit later. But 09, yeah, just, I just remember my name being read out and just being like, oh my God, I got out of the car and just ran around like a five-year-old outside the car. Like, you know? Had a big party that night at mine. Um, the kind of house party, street party, it was awesome. And then, yeah, yeah went to South Africa. I'd, I'd Lucky I toured South Africa a few times before with school and with the Sevens and with Wales the year previous. Uh, so I knew how much of a, an amazing rugby country it was. You know, culturally, it's a very special country. Uh, and they love their rugby. They're a bit like Wales. You know, they're as passionate for their rugby in South Africa as they are Wales. It's the sort of place people stop you in the street and, you know, wish you the best of the weekend. Or they'll tell you you had a shocker at the weekend as well. Um, and so yeah, went on tour, got played in the first couple of games, played well, played with the Driscoll, played well, and then yeah, the week before the first test, they they sent half the group up to Durban to start preparing, and I was in that group that looked like it was the first test side, and uh, just went from there. And you know, we lost that first test in Durban, which was brutal, and then you know that second test that lost us is one of the greatest games I think ever played. Um, incredible incredible rugby match one of the most brutal and I came off at about 65 70 minutes on my wrist which I ended up having an operation on a year later but another memory from that trip is after that second test there were five of us in an ambulance to hospital um, I think Adam Jones has dislocated his shoulder it took them about two hours to get it back in under general O'Driscoll's head looked like mine does now it was out here uh, Tommy Bowe had done his calf Gethin Jenkins has smashed his face in so kind of four fractures around his cheekbone and I'd hurt my wrist so I'd had that looked at um, and yeah it was. I've never known a change room like that as quiet and it's just it was, it was brutal and when I fast sorry when I fast forward four years to Australia the contrast in the dressing room of then and that third test in Sydney was was unbelievable and that you know my Lions memories revolve around those two emotions really and those sets of 
15 minute periods really you can take it right back down to just 30 minutes of yeah because you know there were quite a lot of us quite a lot of us on you know we play this game to win like we're all competitors you want to feel the elation of winning losing is brutal especially at the highest level and you put everything into it you train for months if not years to get to that point and it comes down to 80 minutes yeah or in the lions case it's three sets of 80 minutes olympians some sprinters comes down to 10 seconds Mm. um and so you know i just i just remember the emotion of 09 and that change room and the contrast with with 2013 and i reckon probably about eight eight to ten of us who did both of those tours um and that emotion in the dressing room you know you could you look into those lads eyes and, and kind of share that it was pretty special um yeah, and Australia was an amazing tour. You know, I, I kind of, we'd been successful with Wales in 2013 and 2012. Obviously, that great victory over England and Cardiff when they came to the Grand Slam in Cardiff. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think yeah. That victory, yeah, yeah. That victory sealed a lot of our places on the plane, you know, for the yeah. Lions um, to Australia. And yeah, that was it. It was a different one, though, because I kind of not expected to be picked for that one, but. I, I think I feel I was one of the form centres in the country. I wasn't young. I'd been on the tour previous, so I had experience. Um, so it was a kind of different emotion when that team was read out or that squad was read out, you know. I'm so intrigued by the mentality of the Lions, how you're able to park your differences. You've been like taking chunks out of each other through the Six Nations and then suddenly you come together and try and form this cohesive unit to take on the might of the box or Australia, uh, how difficult yeah. is that to do? Is there enough bonding time in the, in the run-up to it? Because I presume when you first get on tour, the nations naturally gravitate towards each other. When do, when, when do you become... Yeah, but you have to remember fans have to do that as well. That's the beauty of the, yeah. the British and Irish Lions because I don't think there's any sports team in the world, in any sport, that, that does that. I think the Ryder Cup... Obviously, you know, all these individual competitors come together um, to form the European team or the USA team. But, you know, you look across all sports, I don't think there's anything like the British and Irish Lions. And considering that they play a Six Nations tournament three or four months in, prior to the Lions getting together. Um, but rugby's rugby. And, you know, you meet any rugby player, rugby fan around the world. It's a sport based on you know the values of respect and integrity and honesty and hard work and you know those values from whichever country you're from are shared you know when when you get together as a group of lads you all know the crack um and it's a sport when you play as a kid the sport quickly gets rid of the dickheads i can i can say that honestly it's a sport that roots those sorts of people out pretty quickly um and so yeah you know, certainly at that, at that level, you know, the lads who get together, you crack a few jokes. Um, and yeah, you know, in 09, in 09, I just remember, we, we trained at Penny Hill Park uh, for the week and it was a brutal week's training. I think we lost a few players. We lost Jerry Flannery, kind of dislocated his elbow doing a contact session. So he was, he was selected to tour and was ruled out on the tour. And then we were meant to go on a team bonding sort of trip down to Portsmouth. With the with the navy, ah, oh, I was going to uh, say we were going to say the marines. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, we were meant to do like yeah, a trip to Portsmouth. So we were meant to get up at five o'clock in the morning on the Saturday morning, 
Um, the lads trained hard, pretty hard on a Friday. Everyone retired to bed early at like eight o'clock. And then Ian McGeekin, who was the you know coach, he texted everyone at about half eight. Said, "Right, lads, tomorrow's cancelled. See you in the bar in half hour." And we had a we had a lock in in the bar at Pennyhill Park. That sounds uh, which was awesome. much more civilised. <laughs> well, exactly. And much more fun as well. I think a few of the senior lads have probably gone, do you know what, we don't fancy this team. Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of fake team bonding thing. Let's yeah, just go yeah. have a couple of beers, have a sing-song, and it was far more organic, you know. Um, yeah. That, yeah, that, that tour was unbelievable. Certainly the best rugby tour I've ever been on. Really? You yeah. see, I, I wanted to know about the bar bars because I gather well actually i spoke to james haskell on this podcast recently and it's his one regret and i gather that you see your bar bars experience as one of the best weeks of your life again why yeah. is that it's, i suppose it's the similar principles to the lions isn't it about um the pillar well, I, I, I played the bar bars later that year in november we happened to be the all blacks at twickenham which you know, not many Welshmen have beaten the All Blacks in, in their history. But look, I look back at that squad. It's probably the best squad I've ever, ever played. I was in a back line with, with Fury Dupree in his prime in a night, but was probably the, one of the best players in the world, without a doubt. Uh, Gitto played 10. I was with Jacques Ferry in the midfield. I think we had Havana on one, we're in Rokothoko on the other, and then Drew Mitchell at fullback. So that's without team. mentioning. <laughs> Well, exactly. It's, that's without mentioning the players up front as well. You know, your, your Shell Burgers, Victor Matfields, you know, these sorts of lads. So I was playing as a 22-year-old in a side which was like a fantasy team for me. Uh, and it was unbelievable. I mean, just to give you an idea of Barbarians Week, uh, and I'm forever grateful for, for Die Young for letting me do this week. Uh, Cardiff Blues, he, you know, he let a few of us come and go and do the Barbarians thing. But you know, you turn up at the Hilton on Park Lane. Um, you know, you, you handed your your weekly fee, you like your match fee in an envelope, uh, and then you, you you throughout the week you go to the best restaurants in London. You know, as a group. Um, you know, you every day there's a hydration session. However, you want to uh, dress that up. You train Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday off. Train Thursday. You know, and training was arguably a shambles. Like so hungover, you couldn't get the ball to the wing without dropping it. Um, but you know, we bonded well as a side, and I've never seen a group of guys flick the switch on a Saturday morning as well as as those group of guys. Like we we literally stopped drinking on the Thursday. You know, Friday was a big session. We obviously knuckled down then, and then. Just lads woke up Saturday morning, flipped the switch and, and beat the All Blacks in front of, I think we had about, so I think it was sellout. I think Twickenham was like 70,000, 75,000. It was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, again, I reflect on that week and think, just absolutely magic. As a young guy, Jesus, I was over 10 years ago now. That, I mean, that is literally like, yeah, that's like some kind of crazy dream. You know, like you have a fantasy dinner party. That's your fantasy rugby match, isn't it? Um, now, the scary thing is, I think I'm probably the only player from that team still playing, or one of the. Ah, uh, you see, life in the old oh, dog wow. yet. In the pink and bows, really want to help during this lockdown. Now, whether we can or not is another question, but we can try, and we're going to do that by giving away some more Bose noise cancelling headphones. To win them, just 
share mini anecdotes from your time in lockdown and give us some feedback on this series. Always put in the hashtag Bose and tag in a couple of mates to do the same and you never know those headphones could be yours. Good luck, stay safe and stay connected. Now give me a bit more of a, of a picture outside of rugby. So um, I remember seeing on Instagram you also living out a bit of a uh, fantasy bear with me on this it's nothing dodgy you played guitar with manic street preachers is that right i've done it twice i got very lucky i did my acl in 2012 and had a big operation obviously when you do your cruciate ligament missed the missed the um the welsh tour to australia that summer and I was sat in a little cafe in um, just by the brewery in Cardiff called Tray Street Cafe. It's in a little side um, lane just off the main drag there by the train station. And I was in that cafe with my mates. I was obviously on crutches because I had my op a week or two earlier. And this guy, we won the Grand Slam that year in 2012. And this was probably about three or four weeks after oh, the Grand Slam. you don't say. No, I don't remember that. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was sat in the cafe and this guy tapped me on the shoulder. And he was like, mate, don't get up. Just want to say massively proud of your work the last few months. You know, keep it going, mate. You're making us all proud to be Welsh. And it was James Dean Bradfield, right? Uh-huh. So I'd grown, up, I'd grown up in Wales as, you know, the Mannix Street Preachers and the Seraphonics were, were my idols, really. Kind of knew every, every word to every song. And, you know, for a guy like that to say that to me, like, oh, my mates are like kind of starstruck. Obviously, I was as well. So I had a brief chat with them. And it turned out their recording studios was literally opposite. They they recorded all the music, kind of opposite where that cafe was. So we kept in touch, um, and it turned out they then went to play some gigs before the test matches in Australia um, on the Lions tour because they had a decent following in Australia. They actually got a, a hit single called Australia. Um, and he mentioned to me, he was like, "Look, hopefully you won't be able to do it because you'd be in the test side. But the mm. night before the tests, we're going to play gigs." Um, in, in the cities where the test matches were. Lo and behold, I, I got injured the week before the first test in Australia. It's kind of sod's law. I was very lucky to play in the third test, but I missed the first two through injury. And the night before that second test in Melbourne, yeah, he just dropped me a text. He's like, mate, you know, I mentioned those gigs, you fancy it? And it was in Melbourne, two and a half, three thousand people. It's kind of small, intimate venue and yeah i was I, I was one of those i could have asked permission to go and the only answer would have been kind of no so i just didn't ask anyone i just did it and then deal with the consequences later you know oh my god i mean that is epic yeah that is yeah it was pretty cool and then yeah and then the same thing happened again this year so out in the world cup they were playing they've got a huge following in japan it's their biggest following outside of wales in the world right. and yeah, I did some stuff with ITV at the World Cup. I was out there for 10 days just doing comms um, and and some other stuff. And I went to interview James at the gig venue for ITV. And the band manager, whilst I was there, was like, yeah, you fancy doing it again? Same song, same thing. So I was like, yeah, you've you got to do those things. So, And this time around, obviously, I was a bit more confident because I'd done it previously. And it was the third last song of the set. So... I could sink about eight or nine pints before I went up and I embraced it. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, um, I, cool. 
I want to ask you, um, without getting too heavy, but I want to ask you, given your medical background, given your passion for rugby, uh, about concussion. And um, I don't know what your views are on it. I, I saw that documentary, the Shane Williams documentary. Have you seen it yet? The... I haven't seen it, no. And, and they put the question to him, you know, given what you know and given um, just how physical the game is, how do you feel about your, your young son playing the sport? What are your views on it? Do you think that as a sport, there's obviously a duty of care to the players. Do you think that we're all doing enough? Uh, look, rugby is a collision sport. And you're never, ever, if rugby stays in the rule it's, rules it's currently in, you're never, ever going to completely eradicate the risk of concussion. That's the first important point. Uh, secondly, rugby, I think, is... The, the main sport in the world or the, the only sport in the world that have changed their rules to look after their players and it's certainly one of the most proactive sports in the world that have completely changed their rules and are making changes in the game to protect the, the health of their players a la concussion um, you know the tackle height laws that have been brought in uh, are working the medical framework for players who have suffered concussion and returning to play are now very strict. They weren't 10 years ago. Um, you know, certainly when I started playing international rugby, and I can count on a few instances, you know, when you'd had long knocks to the head and you carry on playing. Um, and it's scary to think that's where the game was, but that's where, that's where it was. Um, but as I said, rugby is a sport that's been proactive, um, but it still has a long way to go. But you're never gonna, you're never ever gonna mitigate the risk of concussion and, and head collisions. Um, yeah, and the effect concussion has on us, we don't know that yet. Uh, it's gonna take this cohort or the first cohort of professional players to to pass and donate their brains to medical science mm. to really understand concussion, and that's gonna be what thirty years, thirty years away from now, uh, maybe a bit longer, like the NFL and, yeah. and the NFL. Obviously, that huge thing when the NFL came off the back of a couple of deaths, their brains being donated to medical science, and obviously, um, you know, research into into brain tissue brought about CTE, which is the basis of that concussion documentary and whatever. So, you know, the effect it has on rugby players, we that we won't be able to fully understand that until, as I said, this first cohort. When was when did the game go professional? Mid nineties. The first cohort of those players pass. Mm. Unless, of course, yeah, it's, you know, Shane, that documentary, and you know, I, I get asked by quite a lot of mm. families and, and people with kids, you know, is the game dangerous and, and whatever. Just as a player, what it's given me socially, I think 99% of my, my friendship groups are through the sport. Uh, the opportunities it's given me, you know, I, I tend to focus on that than the risk of, of head injury. Um, and yes, as most sports, there's going to be that that one in a million that gets a serious neck injury, um, and and that's the that's the nature of what we do. But just the, the opportunity that rugby gives you, the, the 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 friendships it gives you, the values it teaches you, I think is worth far outweighs the risk of head injury for me. So um, I'm sure that answers my next question. Which, as and when you become a father, uh, will you encourage your kids? boys or girls to play rugby yeah without a doubt without a doubt and you know 
you can mitigate that risk of injury to some extent. You can teach them proper tackle technique. You can, you can, you know, teach them collisions. You can you kind of teach them that can the body shapes they're meant to be getting in at, at rucks and in the tackle area. But you can never eradicate that risk completely because there's so many things out of your hands in the game. There's so many variables, you know, at play. Uh, but without a doubt, you know, I have if I have boys um, or girls for that fact, I'd I'd want to encourage them to get involved in the game because. As I said, the values I think are incredible, um, and the opportunity it, it gives you both socially and to travel as well. Which you know I've been very fortunate to have those opportunities, and I'd want that for my children if if, I, if and when I, I do have children. And talking of travel, we've seen you many times at the Monaco Grand Prix. Now, is yes. it just about Monaco, or is it about Formula One, or is it about both? That's a bit of both. It's best weekend of the year, isn't it? I unfortunately it's been cancelled this year, but I was very lucky. I, I had a uh, I was sponsored by Red Bull for for near enough ten years um, from when I was twenty through till thirty. They they binned me when I was thirty. I was too old. I go for the young young kind of athletic athletes, um, young exciting athletes, and obviously I turned thirty and I like look, sorry mate, can't sponsor you anymore. But it was you know one of the best things to to happen to me outside of the kind of sport incredible company incredible people um you know the experiences i managed to have with with red bull uh, and it wasn't just the grand prix um you know i remember this one gig we did in salzburg with with owen farrell and, and george north where they had kind of these challenges for us and i ended up flying a, a german alpha jet over the swiss alps at like 700 kilometers an hour which you know money can't buy that experience um so yeah, I'm very, very grateful for the the opportunities I've had with Red Bull, and probably yeah, probably the people there. You know, there's some great, great people work for them, and, and to see Formula One and see the Red Bull Formula One side proper front row seats, you know, in the pit lane and and experience like the Energy Station at Monaco is uh, is pretty epic. I tell all my mates, I think it's the best hospitality setup of any sport in the world. Yeah, the Red Bull Energy Station at Monaco is is another level. It really is. I just hope. Would you Would you agree with that? I would wholeheartedly agree. Although, of course, I'm working very hard every time we're at it. My husband always reminds me, "You're working tomorrow, Pinky. You should probably go home now." <laughs> and then I yeah, hear exactly. the next. You can morning, still dig in at the Saturday night party, can't you? <laughs> no, but then I, I I never forget the year when uh, I think you were there as well. And um, I, I, I went home early on the Saturday night and on the Sunday morning, I was, well, I went down to the track and we started doing the track parade and Max Verstappen came over to me and said, look, I'm just, I'm just really sorry about last night. I said, what happened last night? Because you, well, you haven't been online. I said, what are you talking about? And his dad and my husband had stripped off and jumped into the pool. Were you there? Oh. Did you witness this? Completely naked. I probably pushed your husband in. <laughs> probably deserved it. But Max oh, said it. is trending on Twitter. Now, luckily for me, nobody recognised my husband and just tagged Jos Verstappen <laughs> into everything. So it was Max's dad who got into a lot of trouble. And I think Wiggy kind of got away with it. But anyway, not from me, he didn't. Brilliant. I was tucked up in bed yeah. long before that yeah, happened. Some, just some great, great memories from that, that trip. And I bet... Now it's going to obviously miss a year. Now next year is just going to be unbelievable. 
going to be even better. Well, I hope you join us for it. Um, Jamie, thanks so much for your time. It's lovely to see you. Lovely that you're back safely in London. And I hope that, um, well, I hope that you're back playing rugby soon. But, you know, it'd be great, um, great to have you back on the Formula One circuit at some point as well. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you, Jamie, for your time. Great to chat to you. And now, for those of you who don't follow Jamie on social media, you should, by the way, but if you don't, you won't know that he is now volunteering for the NHS in Cardiff. So, fantastic. He is using his skill set to great effect, uh, especially as he can't play rugby at the moment. So, brilliant use of his time, uh, a brilliant guy, a great man. Um, and a great person to chat to on In The Pink. So thank you, Jamie. Send me in any thoughts that you have on the podcast we've done so far and any ones that you want to hear coming up. And don't forget that you can still win those Bose noise-cancelling headphones. We've had a number of winners this week, which is great. Um, So let me know what you think and what you've been up to during lockdown. Um, Just put the hashtag Bose at the end of any comment that you leave. Um, Subscribe, rate, review and tag in your friends let's help build this community Um, because let's face it we all need each other right now we need to stay connected and we can do exactly that with the help of bows thanks guys i'll speak to you very very soon on the pink deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.